Benedict once said, he should first show them in deeds rather than words all that is good and holy. Welcome to the 52nd episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we can leave our words and solutions at the door when helping someone who is suffering. Our actions and our presence is what's needed most. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, we talk a lot on this podcast about the importance of getting a good night's sleep. A lack of sleep is often the first domino to fall in relation to more serious mental health symptoms that can make it difficult for us to function. Letting our sleep slip can lead to increase in struggles with depression, anxiety, and perhaps most seriously bipolar disorder. The hard thing is that our experience of mental health symptoms can also make it difficult to get that good night's sleep. It's actually one of the symptoms that cuts across all mental illnesses, so it can feel pretty over overwhelming to hear someone say, you know what helps depression is a good night's sleep, when you also realize that the experience of depression actually makes it harder to sleep. It feels overwhelming like a funnel that you can't help but slip through. So what are some things that we can do to help us develop good sleeping habits and help our bodies access that good sleep that it so desperately needs? Mental Health America provides us with some great ways to encourage a good night's sleep so that we can start trying today or tonight, I guess, depending on how tired you are. Set a regular bedtime. Your body craves consistency. Plus, you're more likely to get enough sleep if you schedule rest like you schedule other important tasks. Decaffeinate yourself is number two. I'm so sorry. Drinking caffeine to stay awake during the day can help you stay up at night. And uh, that's not what you want. So try resisting the coffee and the colas, I know, but seriously. De-stress yourself is number three. Relax by taking a hot bath, meditatively praying while laying in bed. Turn off daytime worries by finishing any next day preparations about an hour before bedtime. Next, exercise. Working out can improve sleep in lots of ways, including relieving muscle tension. Don't work out right before bed, though, since exercise makes you more alert. Uh, If you like, try gentle upper body stretches to help transition transition you into sleep. Make your bed a sleep haven. No paying bills or writing reports or watching Netflix or reading on your phone. I know, but don't do any of that stuff in bed. Also, if you can fall if you can't fall asleep after 15 minutes, you can try something soothing like music or uh, get up if you remain alert. Get around and keep uh, staying awake until you feel tired again. On to the next topic, we've talked endlessly about the impact of the COVID pandemic on our mental health, but a lesser discussed topic is how it's impacting those suffering with various forms of dementia. From Kaiser Health News, the coronavirus has upended the lives of dementia dementia patients and their caregivers. Adult daycare programs, memory cafes, and support groups have shut down or moved online, providing less help for caregivers and less social and mental stimulation for patients. Fear of spreading the virus limits in-person visits from friends and family. These changes have disrupted long-standing routines that millions of people with dementia rely on to help maintain health and happiness, making life harder on them and on their caregivers. 
one of the issues here is that the cognitive symptoms related to dementia cause an individual to live 100% in the moment. And this makes it extremely difficult for them to understand why family members aren't visiting or why when they do visit, it's like from the car or they stay outside. The elderly, especially those experiencing dementia and their families and caregivers are a group often forgotten about by the rest of society. But the impact this pandemic has had on their lives cannot be overstated. It's been so serious. It deserves our attention and they deserve our support. Any way we can increase our reaching out or increase the ability for loved ones and caregivers to reach out can make a difference. Even our prayers for those suffering and those caring for them can make a difference. So thanks in advance for your intercession for them. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Blessed Elizabeth Canori Mora. Rome in 1774, Elizabeth grew up in a wealthy family and was mostly under the care of Augustinian nuns. She developed tuberculosis, was sent home from the convent, and rather than moving in the direction of a religious vocation as many had assumed, she grew closer to the man who would become her future husband, Cristoforo Mora. After the honeymoon phase of the relationship passed, Cristoforo became increasingly cold, jealous, angry, and Elizabeth found herself in the midst of an abusive relationship that put her and her children's safety at risk. Elizabeth focused her attention on helping her children grow in holiness and doing everything she could to provide for her family while her husband was off wasting the family's resources and continuing to be the abusive man he had grown to become shortly after their marriage began. On her deathbed, after all she'd been through, Elizabeth's final words were focused on her hopes and prayers that her husband would eventually convert. And according to the USCCB's website, Marriage Unique for a Reason, quote, after witnessing his holy wife's holy death, Cristoforo experienced profound remorse for the anguish he had caused his family. Repenting of his sins, he amended his life, and in, t in a turn of events that was due in no small measure to his wife's intercession, he lived the remaining years of his life as a Franciscan priest. And now, Blessed Elizabeth Canori Mora is waiting to use her powerful intercession to offer up prayers on behalf of everyone suffering in an abusive relationship of any kind. Prayers for their safety, prayers for a support network to gather around them, and prayers to help them get away from the abuse and find peace and consolation, and prayers for an abusive partner to have a conversion of heart and to get the help they so desperately need. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, source of all holiness, I thank you for the graces you have bestowed upon blessed Elizabeth Canori Mora and for having made her a model of faith, hope, and charity as a Christian wife and mother. I humbly beseech you to grant the graces I ask through her intercession that all those in abusive relationships may experience your love, peace, and find a way to safety with, with a support network of caring individuals. Firmly abiding by your holy will, I make this prayer through Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Stephen 
gets us started. My girlfriend, hopefully soon fiance, has dealt with the all too common, I'm sure, body image struggle for at least half a dozen years. She's really proactive about seeking out good counseling at her school and journaling and prayer and doing what she can do. So my question is, how can I support her best? Let's all join together in a prayer for Stephen, his soon-to-be fiancé, everyone walking through the difficulty of trying to be happy with our own bodies and everyone who loves them. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thanks so much for sending this in, Stephen, and thank you for being such a caring boyfriend and wanting to support your girlfriend through her experience. It's such a great thing. All right, here's some helpful ideas from supportive.com that I think are really worth exploring. Show support with meals. A friend or family member struggling with body image issues may feel uncomfortable eating, especially in public, so make sure to be understanding and kind during mealtimes or around food. Next, show support outside of meals. Withdrawal from social events is a common byproduct of body image issues. Make sure you don't leave your friend, or your girlfriend in this case, out of these uh, social events and that they know that they are wanted at all hangouts. Next, be patient and actively listen. It's dangerous to assume that you know exactly what they're going through. If they feel open to talking, make sure you listen and stay patient. Remind them that you'll be here through their body acceptance journey. Next, understand their boundaries. Part of helping is knowing how comfortable they are with you helping. There may be a denial or resistance, and you should respect the boundaries they set. Number five, ask what they need. The best way to help someone is to ask what they feel they need first. When you understand what they want help with, you're better equipped to support them. Be encouraging and build them up. It's easy to become discouraged when you're battling body image issues, acknowledging that you see their effort is important, uh, as well as reminding them that you love them no matter what they look like. However, the most important thing you can do is to make them feel valued for things unrelated to their physical appearance. Compliments on non-physical attributes go a long way to take the focus off their body entirely. Molly is up next. Something I wish uh, was talked about more is the reality of religious trauma and how that affects some people's experience of the church. How our past experiences deeply wound our ability to trust in God. Would you be able to talk about that on your podcast? Thank you so much for sending this in, Molly. I think this is something a lot of us think about. And let's all start by praying together for Molly and anyone who has experienced trauma within the context of faith that God may send peace into their hearts this very day. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. One who causes someone trauma within the context of faith and religion is someone engaging in one of the most serious kinds of evil. An act that hurts the person directly as an individual, rips away the peace and joy that they deserve, and crushes their relationship with God. Impairing their ability to feel close to him and experience his love 
It breaks my heart and makes me so angry that this happens. This relates to my frustration when Catholics say things like truth doesn't care about your feelings. Obviously, the truth is the truth no matter how we're feeling. However, this kind of statement ignores the reality that the faith is about a relationship and things that happen to us can make it extremely difficult to experience that relationship in the way that God intends. Having our trust broken by a person in the church can leave us feeling hopeless in terms of ever having a good relationship with God. Here's an example uh, beautifully and bravely shared by Jennifer Michelle Greenberg that might resonate with others who've had this experience. Quote, For years I struggled with my faith. I wrestled with God and found attending church to be anxiety-inducing. Sometimes on Sunday mornings I'd grow so apprehensive that I'd throw up. Sometimes I'd make myself throw up so my husband would think I was sick and suggest we stay home. People who should have exemplified Jesus' love to me betrayed my trust over and over until they'd driven a wedge between myself and my God. Jennifer goes on to point out a realization that helped her. Not everyone who calls himself Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who calls himself a pastor represents the ultimate pastor. Not everyone who says he loves Jesus is loving. There are many wolves in sheep's clothing, and there are many wolves in shepherd's clothes. Understanding this helped me overcome my anger at God and the church. Because you see, it's easy to get sick of the house when it's infested with rats. It's easy to fear the pasture when it's haunted by wolves. But understanding that evil people, those who bear bad fruit, are not of God and do not represent him, helped me see past their sin. Those who leverage his name to prey on his sheep enrage him. Realizing that he is even angrier than I am at those who abuse his children helped me relinquish my rage. I can trust God with vengeance because he is just. Bailey wraps us up. How should you approach potential mental illness with someone in your family? Someone I love deeply has a history of of being diagnosed but untreated with mental illness, everything from OCD and schizophrenia to anxiety and eating disorders. And over the last few years, I've become increasingly concerned by their behavior and erratic mental state. I think they would benefit greatly from seeing a therapist, possibly medication, but fear that if I bring it up, they will simply think I think they're crazy or try to rationalize concerning behavior because it's what they saw modeled growing up and is affirmed as normal by their parents. I hate seeing them suffer from something that I believe could at least be helped if not treated by therapy and medication. Thank you so much for this question, Bailey. Let's all join together in prayer that the Blessed Mother may intercede for Bailey, her family member, and everyone wanting to help a family member who just doesn't see that they need help. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. This is a topic that comes up quite a bit, and thank you so much again for sending it in because it's so important that we walk through this together. First, I would like you to look up your local NAMI group, N-A-M-I, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. This is a group geared toward helping families who are walking through the experience of having a loved one with mental illness. They will be able to give you on-the-ground tips, resources, and also just be someone who knows what you're going through that can truly listen and truly understand. 
Next, when we're making an effort to help a loved one see that they might need help for mental health symptoms, we should really try our best to stay as objective as possible. So instead of saying things like, I'm worried about you, or I really think you should get help, we should instead focus on exploring how they've been functioning lately, something that they can recognize, something like, do you feel like you've been comfortable socializing with everyone like usual lately? Or it seems like it's been harder for you to get into work lately, or to look at ways that they have or haven't been able to take care of themselves because because of their symptoms keeping it at a level of functioning discussion helps because it's something they can objectively see that's not going right another technique i employ quite a bit is to listen to the person and try and figure out one thing that's bothering them lately do they ever complain that they have a hard time falling asleep do they ever talk about how they feel anxious or worried do they ever say things that show that they're having a hard time concentrating if so encouraging them to allow you to help them find help for that issue bring them into the doctor or mental health professional to help get them help for their sleep anxiety concentration etc whatever it is that they see as the issue and trust that this doctor or mental health professional will be able to see what's actually going on and get them connected to the help they really need Please, please know it can take a lot of gentle conversations to move this in the right direction. So be patient, take care of yourself throughout the process, and be assured of our prayers. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dimpna.